Welcome everyone to Plugged and Unplanned. It's Tony Nash back with you, the CEO of Booktopia in lockdown. And today I have Dan Hazler. I should have asked you before we got on the, the show. Dan. Hasler. Hasler, there you go. Yeah. Got to get it right. Uh, Dan Hasler, new book. The um, I should have have it in front of me. The Act of Leadership. And the subtitle is A Playbook for Leading with Humility, Clarity and Purpose. And they are words to my heart and my mission, my personal mission. So, Dan, welcome to the show and thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me, Tony. Appreciate it. So you were just saying before we uh, we started recording that this was a lockdown book, but not not this lockdown that we're all stuck in. Um, yeah. Now in the middle of 2021, it was the 2020 lockdown, I assume. Yes. And um, yeah, as was, was, I was saying to you, it was... It was a lockdowns are quite useful if you want to write a book. <laughs> so being a you know my um my my schedule kind of cleared and gave me the opportunity to sit down and do something that I've been trying to want wanting to do for a while, uh, but not having the time with the work. And then so it was quite you know it was, it was useful to have some time put aside to be able to do that. But um, the flip side is it's not, lockdowns aren't necessarily great for, for launching a book. So we're, we're now dabbling with online launches and seeing how, what we can do in that space. But yeah, yeah it's, um, you know, a lot of my work focuses on uh, resilience and mindset. So it's been a, a real opportunity to, to walk the walk, so to speak. You know, I do a lot of advising to others about the need to be able to do it. So it's been interesting to apply the philosophies and, and, and approaches in my own work. So the book's due out on the 2nd of August. So we're yeah. recording this as a, as a pre-order, pre-launch. Mm -hmm. uh, but um, when I look at it and I've, I'm using the Booktopia look inside function on our website, um, my guess it's probably not about launch date, like a JK Rowling. Everyone's been waiting uh, with, uh, with great anticipation for something to launch. This is going to be quite a long-term um, sell. It's going to, it's going to be out there for a while. So, Congratulations yeah. on on getting it done. Is this your Thank first you. book? It's actually well, it's my first. Um, the way I put it is, it's my first proper book. In that um, I, I wrote one previously, which I self published, which was a um, a collection of uh, lots of different blog posts and articles that I'd written for uh, different media outlets, and I basically just compiled them um, and, and self published that, and with in order actually to raise money for um, the indigenous. The Indigenous Literacy Foundation. So I put that out in 2016. And then, um, yeah, when I first started chatting with my publisher, that was um, early 2020. So I see this one as my first proper book that other people think might be interesting, not just me. <laughs> there you go. So I always have to ask the question, mm. your teachers at, at high school, Dan wrote a book or... You know, of course, Dan wrote a book. Like, so are they going to be like? Are they going to be astonished? Um, uh, are they going to? Are they going to be? Um, obviously, they'll be proud of you. But um, what, what's how? Where? Where? Where does it all originate from? It would definitely depend on which teacher you asked. So some teachers, um, and and you know, probably two or three would be. Um, well, one, they'd actually be aware of what I'm doing because I'm still in contact with them even today, um, which is, you know, I'm 44. So um, it's it's been it's been some time since I was in high school and others 
would be significantly surprised. Um, a story I often tell my own kids is, you know, I always used to get told to um, you know, stop talking. <laughs> you talk too much, Asla, you know, you, 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 and, and, and now I get paid to talk, which is kind of ironic. Um, but um, yeah, no, so I think, um, you know, when I was at school, I wasn't a, a, a bad kid in any in any sense. I just sort of probably did speak too much, questioned a little too much for people's liking. The irony of that is that I actually then became a teacher. My first job, real, you know, in, in as a career was as, as a PE teacher, and I was a teacher for about fifteen years. So um, I've seen both sides of the uh, student. Coin, so to speak, and uh, yeah, so it's, it's it's always interesting to because now I look through that, and now I'm looking through that lens as a parent. You know how how are the teachers talking about my kids? And um, yeah, it's, it's quite interesting the different lenses you put over it. Um, it's the same kid, and yet there are so many different ways that that they're perceived by different people. Um, so yeah, it's 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 certainly an interesting question. So, so let's go a little bit into your career because it's quite. When I read your bio, you've you've um, coached um, top people, Olympians, um, uh, professionals. I mean, the, it's it's quite a an elite list of people that you work with uh, yep. to to um, to get the very best out of them. Just talk a bit about you know what you do during the day or how how people engage you in that way yeah so um i guess to sort of bridge the gap between being a teacher and and what i do now is um i was in in 2010 i was given a, a i was awarded a, a government scholarship to look at uh, well-being and depression in education and they gave me a substantial amount of money to research this and look at different approaches and and and, and the focus was predominantly on students. And one of my very quick realizations was the importance of having, and, and at the time I was talking a lot about the, this idea of flourishing and thriving, and I still use the word thriving a lot in my work. But in order to have kids who are flourishing, we need to have adults around them who are flourishing, who are living their best life, who are engaged, have great relationships, a sense of meaning and purpose and all that stuff. And so, as a result of getting this scholarship, I was invited to speak and write. And that's where a lot of the stuff started coming from that self-published book that I was talking about before, you know, write articles for this, that and the other. And um, what would happen was um, I'd be invited to speak at other events and then people in that audience would invite me and it was a snowball effect. And one day um, there happened to be the partner. So the partner was a, a teacher and that and their partner um, was head of um, a big sporting um, association, organization, national body. And um, they went home and told this their partner about the, the presentation they'd been to. And, and then the next day I get a phone call and we start, and that was where we started the journey into sport. And, and what's interesting about sport is everybody knows everybody. So, um, you know, once you do something, for example, with um, Netball Australia, then Tennis Australia hears about it, and the NRL hear about it, and then um, the AIS, the independent, you know, the Association, uh, sorry, um, the Australian Institute of Sport, you know, that they, they hear about it, and and then, you know, that the that the AIS that then puts you into the Olympic sports, and so it's it, it's all been word of mouth, and it's all been this kind of snowball effect. Um, 
but it, yeah, it's some, sometimes I sort of go, are you, are you kidding? Like, I'm, I'm, talk, I'm talking to this person now. And, um, and, and yeah, and it's quite an interesting um, uh, job day to day because it doesn't matter whether you are an Olympian, a corporate leader, an educational leader, a parent, everyone is dealing with the same stuff, but just by virtue of being human. It, it looks and feels different depending on your context. But essentially, the core issues of identity, the core issues of mindset, and of conflict, of you know, you, whatever it might be, they, they, they're, the, they're constant, uh, regardless of what room you find yourself in, whether it's a classroom, boardroom, or a change room. Mm. So before then, we get into the details of the book. Mm. The, the methodology, I mean, I can only imagine, I mean, with Booktopia, I meet celebrities and and famous authors um famous australians and sports people all the time coming through here and um it's it's easy for me to be grounded and meet them because i see them as as normal people and i try to be as as normal for them as i am uh, as they are and then you have a rapport that i don't i don't put them on a pedestal or look up to them and go oh my god it's that person. Mm. Um, when you were starting to immerse yourself in that crowd and you, you went from teaching kids to, uh, and working with teachers and working with the education department, then all of a sudden be put into a room where, all right, now bring all of this coaching and all of this, your, your thinking mm. and support. What, what were you, cause I guess a lot of this is in the book for us to be able to un unpack and and understand your your process but were you grounded because you had uncovered a methodology did you study study other methodologies and then bring them into your own approach or was it just organic and you just ended up with something and you go hey this really works for these people and it's working for them and then therefore you kind of stay within the you stay within your process so you're not you're not being um chat you know thrown off the rails and go i didn't realize that that you know um one of the people that you've worked with is anamias and i've interviewed anamias for her book for example so Mm. it's kind of like oh i've never been i don't know anything about that so i can't help Mm. you i can't coach you on that because it's yeah it it, just talk a bit about you know yeah that's that's interesting because i do talk about that um in in the book and I, i actually view not having done something as a strength in the work i do and and what i mean by that is if I'm working with you, Tony, and you know that I know what you should be doing, right? So you know that, right? And I've been and I've been brought in to help you be better, right? For argument's sake, right? And you know that I know how I how you should run a book company, right? A booktopia style company, right? If you know that, then every question I ask you is tainted by your knowledge that I know the answer to that question. Right. So why is it? Why 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 are you doing it that way? You know, uh, have you ever thought about doing this? Um, what other things could you do? Right. And so each one of those questions, if you know that I know the answers, then your willingness to engage there is 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 different. I'm not saying it's good or bad, but it's different to if you genuinely, if you know I don't know. Right? So so t- t- tell me a little bit. Why do you do it that way? And, and, and when I ask it that way, and you know I don't know the answer, you know I'm not trying to catch you out. You know I'm, you don't have to prove yourself to me because 
I've got no runs on the board in this space. And what it allows, what, what, what that allows for is a far more honest reflection. And because sometimes there'll be things you do that you just take for granted that you've just never thought of. And, you know, so if I go into a school, for example, and say, why do you have bells? Right? They know I know why we have bells. We always have. That's the answer. We've always had bells. <laughs> and, you know, and, and they're just really convenient. Despite the fact that, you know, everyone's got a phone in their pocket, everyone's got, you know, they're all on laptops, they've all got, but, but we'll still have bells. And, and it's, there's a real difference in asking a question when you know the, per or sorry, when you're answering a question, when you know the person doesn't know the answer versus when you know they do and, and you feel that somehow it's a bit of a, 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 trip, a trip, you know, they're trying to catch you out in some way. So certainly to start with, I had to convince myself that not knowing was a strength. You know, I, I had to, I had to, oh, this is, a, you know, I'm not so sure about this, but I'm actually, um, again, sort of walking that, that walk of, well, you know, I know a fair bit of stuff and I'm co confident in that. I'm confident in this methodology, as you call it, and, and saying, okay, well, let's, let's see if it works. So the beauty of my work is we don't commit to anything until we know it works. You know, so I, I can go and I'll always go and spend a, a day or two days with somebody or with an organization before there's any commitment to, to doing it. So, again, there's no need to prove myself on that. It really is just a, a, an exploration. And again, my methodology is I only work with people who want to work with me. So I don't sell anything. I, I'm never trying to convince someone. If someone's there going, oh, I'm not quite sure. Well, fine. No worries. I'll see you later. Um I, that, you know, that's a little harder to do when when things start getting cancelled in lockdowns. But but um, but but it's it's sort of like in order to stay true to the methodology, you can only coaching only works if people want to be coached. Um, it doesn't work if the, it's been mandated. So if a boss has said, "Oh, you need a coach," we're going to bring Dan in to work with you, and they're resistant to that, or they had no say in that or they had no say in they might be open to coaching but they don't like me or my my manner then coaching just doesn't work um it's coaching is all predicated on self-determination theory and, and intrinsic motivation of the other person the coach is merely there to fan the flames of that um using as you say different methodologies and frameworks one of my um my opening slide when i do my keynotes is the quality of your life is determined by the quality of the questions that you ask. So mm. it sounds like you're a master of that. <laughs> I don't know. I'm trying to be. <laughs> trying to be. I wouldn't. Yeah, it's, I'm always looking for, for for better questions or better better little pivots in conversations. But yeah, it's certainly something I I think I'm pretty good at. <laughs> I don't know if I'm a master, but I'm pretty good. Maybe that's the great thing about a question. It, it takes you. You you've got to be curious, and you've got to go you've got to notice things to be able to ask something. And mm. I, I can tell that that's, that's what's, um, that that's what you have as a natural kind of instinctual gift mm. or skill to, mm. to be in a situation and just be able to go and, and, and to be interested in actual interested in the answer, not to yeah. ask it for, Oh, that's a great question. And you hear somebody say, Oh, you've asked a really good question. I, I hear that a lot when I do these mm. interviews, but, I'm actually genuinely interested in what they're saying. And I think mm. that's, that's where it all, where it all happens. 
Yeah, because there's all kinds of questions that people ask, right? So asking questions in and of itself isn't isn't it's not good or bad. I mean, there are a lot of people, as I said, they'll ask questions to catch people out. You know, parents do it all the time. You know, they'll say, "How are you going? You know, how's that room coming along?" You know, and they know full well that they've not started tidying the room. You know, have you? How long? How long have you been on that PlayStation? They know exactly how long they've been on the PlayStation. And they're just trying to catch them out. You know, or Another one is, you know, I'll ask a question as kind of like, you know, just um, then t- I'll ask a question in a way that then tees me up to then come back, you know, so I'll ask a question, someone will say something, and then it's just the perfect setup for me to show how smart I am. Um, but as you say, that idea of asking with genuine curiosity, asking questions that you don't know the answer to, you know, and, and, and if you think about all the questions that you don't know the answer to, they're the ones that they're the ones where the real power is um, because, you know, especially as a leader, you know, the leader who thinks they know it all is, is has stopped leading in my opinion. Um, but, you know, that's, that, that I get pushback on that sometimes, but that's, I, I believe that. Yeah. So your book is um, called uh, the act of leadership yep. and it's not about sports people necessarily, although no. um, uh, sports people get, get to lead in, various situations, uh, team captains and so forth, mm. coaching um, a team. But uh, the the leadership, and you've, you've subtitled it with humility, clarity, and purpose. Mm. Um, how, how, how missing, how, how vacant are leaders of, of humility? I mean, a lot of people think about leadership as egos and and um, they're, they're conquering, uh, they've, they've got to the top because they, they, um, they abused power or they, they, they obliterated others along the way. But humility um, is the complete opposite of that. And then how, how missing is it from the leadership when you look through organizations? Um, how, how, do you, how do you get people to shift um, they obviously have, need to have the willingness to do that. Mm. I mean, so there's a couple of things that spring to mind when you ask the question. The first one is around leadership in general. And it's not just about, as you mentioned, it's not just this, this book has got very little to do with sport per se. I mean, there's the stories from sport, but just as the stories from a boardroom or, or parenting, you know, I, th- I think of leadership as, you know, one leading yourself. So that's why it's called the act of leadership. What, you know, it's not, in the introduction, I talk about the first, uh, or not the first, but certainly one that sticks in the memory of when I realized that people don't get what it means to, to learn about leadership. You know, they think learning about leadership is what you know about leadership. And, you know, and it's not, it's what you can show, you know, on a daily basis. So it's about how do we take what we know about it and, and do it? And, and, and the second part of leadership is, in my mind, is you know um, creating the conditions where other people can be their best. Now, I didn't perhaps to you know to a common goal, or perhaps you know if you're a parent, how do you how do you lead your household in a in a way um, that allows everyone else, your partner or your um, your kids, or perhaps even your ex partner, how do you how do you live in a way that allows people um, to be their best? And 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 so when we think about the idea of humility you know right from the outset i mean i can't see that there's any other way 
<laughs> because nobody knows everything. If you think you do, then that's an issue in itself. But you know, if we if we think about just the last twelve, you know, twelve to eighteen months, nobody knows how to lead during these times. You only need to. Everyone thinks they do. You you know, if if you want to start a, 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 an argument, you know, you sort of say, well, how, how do you think the premier's going? <laughs> you know, just ask a room full of people about that, right? Because everyone thinks they know, but the reality is there is no there is no playbook for leading during a pandemic. There's no playbook for that. I've called this a playbook for leading with humility because, well, what if we just come with us and say, I, I don't know them. Let me, I need to put my ego first and foremost aside here. You know, and again, I'm not particularly that keen on getting into political arguments and things like that, but it strikes me that a lot of leadership um, errors, for want of a better word, or missteps, come because the ego gets in the way of the purpose of leading, which is for the betterment of other people. You know, certain certain noisy elements get preferential treatment, for example, or perhaps I, you know, in, um, you know, I might as well say in New South Wales, you know, the, the Premier's copped a lot of flack here for not using the lock, you know, using the, literally not using the word lockdown. Um, in talking about it because she prided herself on not having lockdowns, you know. And again, I'm not here to make judgment on that, whether it's a good or a bad thing, but it's just an observation I have that sometimes our ego gets in the way and and, and, and it can't. If we're going to be the best leader we can be for the people around us, then we need to recognise we, we don't know everything. What we do know, we're probably not 100% correct on. Um, we need other people around us. Their ideas will be different to ours, but there's probably value in that. Um, and we have to have the humility to continually question ourselves and, and not feel like we've arrived. You know, the, 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 the person who thinks that they've arrived um, is, is already falling back. You know, the person who worked out how to lead in 2019 didn't know how to lead in 2020. And, and, you know, the person who managed to navigate their business through 2020 has now hit with, oh, they, they'd learned how to do that, but now they've got to do it again in a different way with different constraints and without different supports and this, that, and the other. And so recognising that, and, and, I th and here's the, 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 the key, is recognising that that's okay. You know, it's not a sign of weakness that we don't know this. It's actually a sign of strength to be able to say, I don't know. You know, and I feel pretty vulnerable and I'm feeling a little bit uptight about this. The more you try and push that away, the worse you lead. You know, the more you try and present to you, to, you know, oh, I've got it all figured out. When you know you haven't, that only compounds the issues and compounds communication breakdowns or any number of minor or major conflicts. So, yeah, I think humility is the absolute bedrock of of getting better at most things. When I'm working with an athlete, for example, we talk about we need peak humility off the field so we can have peak confidence on it. You know, so the only way you can walk onto a footy field knowing that you're better than your opposition, you know, and, and I'm not, again, that's, that's a subjective thing, you know, in terms of a confidence play. I know I can do what I want here. The only way you can do that is to question everything off the field and do all the investigative work and all the the pushing yourself off the field. The the player who turns up to training knowing they've they've arrived is already falling behind, and and that's as I say that that, that humility I think is a really well it's foundational.
Mm. One of the things that's helped me from the very beginning um, is that um, I have separation between myself and Booktopia. Booktopia is its own organism, mm. and uh, and whatever e if my ego or my identity is is intertwined with Booktopia, um, then I know Booktopia wouldn't be the company that it is today. Mm. Had I um, continued to to um, dominate or or wield my power in yeah. that kind of way, so by separate, so when I know that um, Booktopia won book retailer of the year or Telstra business um, uh, business of the year or make the um, the AFR fast 108 times the only company to do that or even listing on the ASX that we didn't that we did last December it's Booktopia that did that mm. I was I was the leader but it's not mm. it's not me and it, when I retire there'll be another CEO of Booktopia so mm. um, you're you know you're not the St George um, rugby league team or you're not the mm. Sydney Swans the Sydney Swans are the Sydney Swans and you're playing yeah. at that time in that team and when you're off the field um, you're you and you're you're not even the Swannies player um, when you go into a school and you're talking to the kids because you're also a parent or a or a son or, mm. a, or a friend uh, which is different again um, mm. and th this is this is what I, you know, I really wish that people can hear what you've got to say. And we want people to go out and buy Dan's book, buy it from Booktopia, of course. Of course. Order it now. <laughs> uh, go, in, go into any shop when we get out of lockdown um, mm. and, and buy it as well. Absol absolutely. But I, if I could now turn to the other two words, clarity and purpose, because yeah. it kind of feels like without, we're just focusing on one, I'm going to focus on humility without the clarity and purpose. It doesn't feel like there's going to be intensity or momentum or yeah, exactly and so how do the three kind of play together um yeah. as uh, supporting each other as yeah. skills so those those three words underpin the methodology that we were talking about prior to um talking about the book in terms of, you know the, the way i coach is predicated on those three ideas of encouraging a sense of humility to establish that there are things we don't know or there are things that we might improve or change or need to start doing stop doing etc the clarity is the idea of being able to distill it down and know exactly what it is that needs to happen as opposed to for example uh, someone might say oh, i just need to get healthier okay <laughs> there's no clarity around that right there's humility there going yeah okay you know i, I realize you know it's time you know father time's catching up on me i need to do something and there's you can everyone can say that yeah i need to i need to get clear or i need to i need to drink less or uh, i need uh, you know i need to eat less fatty foods or whatever it might be it could be you know i need to lower my blood pressure but even that's not clear enough to articulate a next step it and so really being able to do the work to find fine grain it down into really clear um both actions and communication around that so for example you know when we're talking about clarity in organizations if 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 we're not clear on that and you know this because you've run a, a you know an organization if we're not clear on what it is we're trying to do either people don't do anything because <laughs> they're or, or the or there's just this hodgepodge of 
different things which kind of feel like they're the same thing but they're not quite what you had in mind and this that and the other so getting clear on it is really really clear getting clear on what the challenge is so we can get clear of that challenge is what we tend to talk about and then the idea of purpose you know again i could walk into any organization and i'll see the purpose because it'll be written on the wall or it'll be on their website but you know that that what does that mean for a lot of times some you know it's not uncommon for some people to actually have to look at the wall to tell me what the purpose is you know or look at the materials you know um oh it's on our journals somewhere isn't it what is it it's on that inside cover oh yeah it's that um so it's not lack of purpose or lack of you know it being around it's the lack of purpose in the day-to-day actions and and so talking about you know big purpose and then how you're finding real purpose and meaning in what you're doing right now which if you it's kind of comes in that third you know it's it's the third word for a reason you know we've done the 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 humility piece we've clearly articulated what it is that we want to do now we do it and when someone says why are you doing that it zeroes back back to the humility because i can say ah oh, because i da, 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 da. and so it's this virtuous spiral ideal in an ideal world it's a virtuous spiral which can which feed, feeds itself um because the reason i'm saying purpose is so important is the more a question we sometimes ask is look okay if you if you were to look at all the things you have to do day to day or week to week if you could wave a magic wand and just have it done without having to do the work what would you wave the magic wand over and the more things you wave the magic wand over the less meaning or purpose you're finding in that in that work you might be able to communicate why it's the bigger purpose but if you're not fe- and that's one thing and that's important but if you're not feeling that in the day to day then it's hard to sustain it it's hard to sustain it and so we want to in the work we do we want to you know keep trying to touch back in with well what whatever that meaning and purpose is you know whether it's a you know a big social effort or whether it's a, a corporate endeavor or whether it's a sporting endeavor you know everyone tends to have their big purpose but then what you know what are we doing today what are we doing in the next five hours what are we doing in the next five minutes you know why is why is this important um, and how are you going to engage fully in that and 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 typically typically um the better performers have more moments during the day where they can clearly articulate that versus those who are just going through the motions they might still be getting the work done you know not not saying that not saying they're not working but this is that going back to the idea that we mentioned right at the start about flourishing and thriving you know living your best life i think everyone can hear that dan is really onto something here um no wonder you've had so much success without going to harvard or to some you know the, the university of coaching or, or um, a, a, a PhD in psychology. Uh, this is really fundamental and practical kind of um, uh, methods and, and thinking and an approach, which I, I can, which really resonates with me. So I'm, I'm, I'm looking at your book isn't out yet, but I've got your, your uh, table of contents uh, for the act of leadership here. Yep. Three parts, part one, the you stuff, part two, yep. the you and them stuff, and part three, the tactical stuff. So um, 
and then some interesting chapter headings. Mum was wrong. Um, yeah. It really does matter what others think of you. Tell us a little bit about that because that's quite provoke, provocative. <laughs> so, um, you know, it's, it's, I've tried to make the heading somewhat provocative in that, you know, there's a lot of common wisdom out there, um, which is wrong <laughs> when it comes to, to, particularly when it comes to leading other people. And so the idea that, you know, that that chat style mum was wrong you know it does matter what others think you know because a lot of the time you know when you're growing up it doesn't matter what they think there is when it comes to leadership it absolutely does matter what other people think of you and um, because if it because if we didn't it, i mean fundamentally leadership isn't about you leadership is about other people and how you can move them and so when i'm meet when i'm working with a leader and they'll say things like um look down you know i'm just here to do a job um you know i'm not here to be liked uh, i don't give a toss what they think about me i'm here to whatever blah blah blah. i'm not saying they're right well am i saying they're right or wrong yeah i think i am i i, I think i am saying that there that there's definitely room for a conversation there because it my i reckon i reckon if you have a leader who's looking at a group of people and saying it's not my job for them to like me you know i'm here to do my job they're professional adults why you know they just need to do their job i reckon and i know this because i've actually done it if i then go and speak to that group of people so here's that you've got the leader looking at them going why don't they care about their job and that you have the group of people looking back at the leader going why don't they care about me and you get this, you know, clash, if you like, and, and the person who suffers is whoever the, well, everyone suffers in, in reality, but, you know, if you're thinking about um, a client or a user or a consumer or a, or a fan or, a, you know, like other, other people, they end up suffering as well because this group of people simply aren't working um, well together. And so what we... The, the, the whole point of this chapter is again that humility of saying i'm not i am not saying that you have to be their friend i'm not saying that you know we have to go around to each other's houses when lockdown permits and 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 have dinner what but what i am saying is there has to be if nothing else the bare minimum a level of common human decency between you and you do have to understand what makes them tick and you do have to understand how they experience you because the, the, again, the whole point of leadership is to help them achieve, you know, be the best they can be to achieve this common goal. So if we don't care what they think about us, because it doesn't, you know, mum was right, it doesn't matter what other people think, then we're missing the whole point of leadership. And so then when we speak about in, in that chapter, we talk about, well, how do we find out? You know, we, we talk about a, a, a slightly different way to doing the, the, you know, the traditional sort of 360 um, feedback approaches. Because I think, you know, most corporate entities particularly do understand, of course, it matters what people think. But even then, the way they get that information back isn't always as helpful as it, as it, as it could be. And it might not be received. In fact, it's invariably not received in the best possible way either because it comes from this idea of well you know that's that's just their opinion and i have to say to them yeah it is it's their opinion <laughs> you know and we need to we need to play with that for a minute we need to think about that for a minute you know and, and and we need to see 
what element of their opinion is true. I'm not saying it's all true, but what element is true? Because at the bottom line is if they're coming to, de- uh, coming to work every day thinking that about you, how can we possibly be leading them? You know, and and, and th- th- so we circle back to this humility part. Yeah. It's interesting because when I think about what you're saying there, I think you've got another chapter in there. I'm not looking at the table of contents at the moment, but about less stick and less carrot. Um, yeah. And and when I think about um, leadership and uh, and teams or groups or the military or um, you're doing something where um, they, they someone says, "Well, I don't care if I'm not liked," but um, the the person who's in the team. Um, it could be in, in a prison um, where choice is diminished, meaning they really don't have a choice through their financial circumstances, family circumstances to do something else than um, not being liked um, and using more stick probably is serves them. And we've probably come out of um, two and a half centuries of, of that kind of leadership where people really mostly didn't have a lot of choice mm. and uh, you just had to do the job. And that's why people work there for a company for all their lives. Um, mm. When, when team members have choice, then, and you, <clears throat> and you're kind of going from A to B, meaning that this is where we are today, guys, because Booktopia has had tremendous growth. We we've grown uh, from 2008 to to now 25 to 30% compound annual growth in our revenue. It's been massive over many, many years. When you're going from A to B, if you, if you are able to uh, um, lead them and not necessarily, it's not about being liked or not liked, it's about inspiring them and empowering them, then uh, it's their choice to stay. And they, they may be, headhunted by someone else, but no, no, I've got a better opportunity here. That's yeah. where I see this whole dynamic happening. What situation are you in? And do your team members have a choice? Um, and then are you just simply managing the status quo? Because at the end of you know, this time next year, we are doing the same thing that we did. This We're managing a call center of 400 people. And next year, we'll be managing a call center of 400 people. And our insurance company requires us to get on the phone and answer questions and help our customers. Is there much change from last year to this year? No. Okay, all right. That gives us a, an idea of what sort of organization you're in and what sort of role it is. Uh, you're still adding value. You're still helping customers and doing all those things, but there's not, you're not transitioning from, from one um, you know, stratosphere to a, the next one and having to go through that layer of turbulence is the way that I've experienced it. So it it's quite an interesting um, um, kind of, discussion for me because I do think about this a lot and I remember when I first became a leader um, I was hopeless and mm. and I wasn't I'm sure I was either not liked or was probably thought as as um, not useless but ineffective mm. and and I think having having a clear purpose and a and a mission has really helped me um, because it's not necessarily me talking all the time it's about people know knowing what booktopia is all about and jumping on the train and driving it forward not having to constantly talk to everyone to be on point so um we're kind of making our way through our time together and um i've probably um you know led led the discussion um 
anything within the book or stuff we haven't talked about and you, you want to kind of share with us about what we need to think about or consider or hopefully inspire us to buy it, as I said earlier, <laughs> keep saying. Um, yeah, I think I think one of the things you just mentioned there as you were talking about, you know, when you first started leading, you know, you 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 might have felt you're ineffective. And I think one of the things to recognize is that whenever we get promoted to something, if it's a genuine promotion, and by that I mean more than just a change in the email signature or more than just a pay rise, like it's a genuine um promotion up which comes with more responsibilities or perhaps you now you know you, you someone listening might be you know a good sales representative they get promoted to now lead a team of sales representatives the the reality is that you know the the thing that you were good at is no longer what you need to do and and you know every, every step of that career path if you like again it comes back to this idea of humility is recognizing okay well what got me here, and, and that, I'm going to talk about another book, you know, Marshall Goldsmith has written a book called What Got You Here Won't Get You There, which is the idea of the things I was good at um, isn't what's required. And in some cases, being good at that old thing makes me worse at this new thing. The example being, uh, and there's research that shows this, is that high-performing sales representatives who then get promoted to lead sales teams, their sales teams' um, uh, returns, you know, sales, their, their numbers, they go down as a result of this good performer being promoted. And it's not just it's not just the loss of the good performer's numbers, but it's actually across the team, individual numbers go down. And there's loads of research to, to sort of suggest why this is a couple of the things which i actually mentioned in the book is this idea of we have to let go of the old thing we have to let go because a lot of the time you know this is where micromanaging can um, really come in because i'll see somebody doing something the way i wouldn't do it you know and it might be their way but it's because it's not my way i sort of jump in over the top and micromanage or coerce them to try a different thing and so just these little shifts end up damaging the 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 um you know the, the numbers and you can use that as a metaphor for for anything you know the good the good the great footballer gets and i've had these conversations the great footballer gets appointed as a coach and cannot comprehend why a 20 year old footballer isn't doing what they were doing when they were 20 years old cannot comprehend why they're not what so the new generation of rugby league footballer typically doesn't watch a great deal of rugby league they're watching a lot of basketball or they're they're, they're making their vlogs or they're you know they're doing and, and so what's quite interesting is that you know the the better that these coaches were and because they I, I was successful doing this this is the way to be successful they then try and um uh, transplant that methodology to other people and it, it this is where you see player unrest this is where you see disconnects because rather than trying to connect with where that player is and move them you know accordingly they aren't interested where that player's at they say hey don't be there do it this way instead and and again i, I keep coming back to the tagline of the book encouraging leaders and, and coaches to recognize that that 
have the humility that say your way was a great way for you <laughs> but this isn't about you anymore this is about this group of people so we have to go and, and identify and help them find their best way and um yeah i think and, and so to, to round out you know that that whole idea actually teaching the leaders to embrace some of the methodology we use asking questions rather than telling you know not rushing to fix people's problems even though you know you've got to fix so long as it's not a crisis you know as long as it's not something that needs to be fixed in the moment let it play out a little bit and let that person learn and let that person you know discover new ways for themselves because you know yeah it might take three or four days longer for them to come to that realization but when they come to that realization themselves as a result of being told it, the learning is so much more powerful and they're far more likely to change their behavior long term when you tell someone to do it they'll change their behavior in the short term but quickly regress back to what they were doing when they learn it for themselves over a slightly longer term it's far more likely to be embedded so we try and coach leaders and coaches like footy coaches or, or whatever to have that patience to just um, I, 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 again the caveat unless it's a crisis unless it needs to be sorted um you know but let let them have that struggle because all the great educational philosophies show that the struggle is where the learning is and, and that's where the behavior changes and, and as a leader that's what you're about be changing behavior for the better mm. can i ask you this odd question i think i may have even asked it recently to one of my other podcasts um with if you looked at the total population in in sydney and australia and the world right and you think about all the leaders that are or people that are in roles of leadership um from perhaps parents or um pncs or or mm. politics or sports teams or businesses or um there's so many books being written about leadership mm. but in proportion to the people that are in the teams now as a salesman you know i think about there's many more people who are in in the actual teams being led um so sell more books how to be the best team member or how to be a great um <laughs> participant how to be yeah. a good worker um yeah. but uh, it's a bit cheeky when I'm kind of asking that because it is there are a lot of books on leadership and there's not a lot of as proportionally there's not as many books on how to be a yeah. good worker yeah. but how relevant could it be your book in terms of look I'm not leading but um by reading uh Dan's book uh, is going to I'm going to be more a more effective team member um yeah is there anything there that um is worth yeah. considering so yeah, just as you were talking there. So in my first conversation with the publisher, um, I said, "Come on, we we don't need another leadership book. <laughs> you know, there's there's loads of leadership books. There's that, you know, tens of thousands of them." And then I realised I'm talking to a publisher of books, and maybe that's not the way to approach this uh, this pitch. So uh, we agreed. Okay, we will do another leadership book. But what uh, what we've tried to do in this book is frame it. So you don't have to be a, le a leader in that traditional sense. As I mentioned before, if you're a parent, you're, you, you know, I'm assuming you have an interest in helping people around you be their best. If you're a partner, 
I'm assuming, you know, you know, if you're a sibling, if you're a friend, a colleague. So that's on the one one part. This is a very human book. You know, that it, 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 if you interact with other humans, um, this, this will have um, some resonance in it. The second thing is, if you are a corporate leader, or even if you are a member of a, any kind of team, the way this book, or the way I'm hoping this book is received differently to the plethora of other leadership books, is that a lot of leadership books kind of dig into one or two core areas and go quite deep, but even then, don't really have the practical things that a leader can then say, hey, team, get around, let's do this together. Pretty much every chapter, that the bit where it gets to the you and them, so the, the, you mentioned the parts before, part one, the you stuff. You know, this the you stuff talks about all the things which makes leadership or parenting or being a partner difficult just by virtue of us being human, right? So that's the you stuff. Like, let's get our head around that. The you and them and the tactical stuff, they're developed, the chapters are developed as coaching sessions to do with a group of people. So, you, of course, you could do it on your own and reflect. And there are some questions that are just individual reflections. But, um, a lot of it is, okay, get your people together and let's establish how we're going to work together. Um, you know, so, so yeah, it's quite interesting, uh, that idea of how to be, um, you know, a good worker, because, again, that's really predicated on the other people I'm working with. You know, I could show up with the best intentions in the world, but if I, work into a, if I walk into a, a workplace where my ideas aren't valued or you know, or, or I'm not part of the tribe or whatever, then all those intentions count for very little um, because I'll go looking for somewhere else. And, um, you know, so, yeah, it's an interesting um, proposition that you make. And I, and, and I think, although I'd not really thought about it in, those, in that way um, when I was putting the chapters together, but there is absolutely, it's a very collegial approach to leadership. Mm. And I think that's where... Um... That, that's the reality reality of it this whole um, um, myth almost about um, there's a divide there's a now space between us mm. and everything everything has changed um, one of the things that I've done in these podcasts the last few podcasts and it started by someone saying I want to ask you a question um, as we kind of come towards the end because the people that I get to interview are, multi-talented um they're writing a book because they're a subject matter expert or whatever whatever it is that they're they've written about um to get the author to ask me a question so being the ceo of booktopia just so they can see you in action because this is going to give them a bit of an insight to the kind of author the kind of person that's written this book um is there anything that comes to mind that you might want to ask of me of ceo in particular because it's about leadership and yeah um what what do you want for the for your people at booktopia oh so the one question we've asked for 17 years is what do our customers want mm. and so um when when i um search for that you end up being a 220 million dollar company with 250 employees with um so it that question has has served us very well um when so just and i may not be answering it exactly but we're talking about our people and we're talking about booktopia's team now mm, for example yeah. so the whole business about working from home 
Mm. And there's a there's a range of differing opinions about should I work from you know should they all work from home? Uh, Atlassian has said we only want them to come in four days a year, and and my my belief is that um, it'll swing back to people wanting to work at the office, mm. having worked at home, um, because if you're going to further your career, if you want to actually learn, you need to be you know, one to two shoulders lengths away from the people who know more than you, because that's how you learn. You, you're, you're eavesdropping or you're hearing or you're in a meeting and you go, oh, I never thought of that. And that's, that's learning on the job. And it gets harder and harder. And I worry for people's mental health being in their boxes at home, not going out and thinking that that's okay. So I think what's going to happen is it's, it's been great for people to feel what it's like to work at home and then also how nourishing it is to work at the office. So when, when someone asked me, um, and we're employing people still. Booktape is growing, even during lockdown, where we're, we're recruiting at the moment. And and so the whole business of working from home, I I have a simple question: What is best for our customer? And so it's like, oh, I never really thought of it like that because I'm not interested. In what's best for you? Now, what's best for our customer could be that you actually got a piece of work that you need to do. You cannot be interrupted, and I just want to work at home today so I can get this done. Well, that is best for our customer. So that that's to me um, having a mature um, view on how things how things can play out in the workplace. What I do love about lockdown and that we had to do it so quickly, like jumping into an ice cold bath, is that or ripping off a band-aid, as some people called it, is that today, because if if we didn't have the pandemic, it would have been like getting into the bath really, really tippy toes slowly. Um, what's great now for me is that my team knows that I know that they know that I can trust them to work from home. Mm. And that knowingness, because they know they can work from home and be effective. And they yeah. have, they have not sat at home on Netflix or, or Foxtel or watching movies or, or doing anything, but they have been committed to their role, which which is so great. It's so great to, for me to have that experience, to see that in action, um, that trust built really quickly that um, we would have taken, society and, and businesses would have taken a lot longer, would have been one day, maybe one day a month, I don't know. But now it's like, okay, let's, and, and, but let's make it work for us. Uh, yeah. so I think eventually one day a week, maybe two every now and then is the right number. Yeah. Uh, but I, I believe that, people will come back to the office. So I don't know whether that exactly answers your question, but it gives you an essence of kind of, um, mm. you know, some of the aspects. On oh, the only other thing about um, our people, what, we, what I want, when someone comes and resigns, right, I go, wow, where are you going next? Mm. Not, oh my God, I'm losing a person. It's like, mm. because if you don't want to be here, you must be going somewhere else. And if you've been at Booktopia to then secure a better job for yourself and your family and your career, I'm so happy for you because you're creating a space for, space for someone else to come in and help us get there. So the great thing for me about that is, is that I've never tried to hold on to people and go, oh my God, what happens if that person leaves? And, and therefore you start doing things to, it's like being in a relationship with someone that you know it's ending, but you're doing everything to try and keep it together and it's just mm. it's falling apart. Um, and there, there are a couple of things that uh, probably give you a bit of an insight in terms of my, you know, my, my philosophies. Um, definitely empowering people, mm. letting people get on with it, right? 
that's what I need you to do. You work out how you want to do it and I'll leave it with you um, is, is also something else that I do. Hmm. So Dan, thanks again. Congratulations on the book. Um, I know uh, some of the teachers um, will be so proud of you and, and they'll be going, of course, I knew he was going to do it and I wouldn't have expected anything less. And uh, to, to you and your family and, and to, your, to your clients and to who you're going to be working with, um, it's, it sounds like this is, this is a really good manual. If people want to have another, another aspect, another view of leadership, um, there are many, many view, uh, views that authors create. But uh, I, I like what you've done and I look forward to having a read of it myself. I mostly do audio books. Is there an audio book coming out of it? So I believe there is. The publisher um, actually asked me to do an audio audition to see if my voice was appropriate for my book. <laughs> so I'm not quite sure. I'm not quite sure if I've got the job or not, or, or whether they want a more neutral accent. I don't know, but we'll, uh, I'm still waiting to see. But I, I believe there is one in the pipeline. Oh, good on you. Where, where are you originally from in the UK? Ma Manchester. Manchester. So yeah. yeah. So if we want a, a Manchester, what is the what what do you call it? A not Manchurian, no, what is it? Mancunian. Mancunian. Mancunian yeah. accent, yeah. Then um, um, you've got the gig. That's it. That's <laughs> it. <laughs> so thanks again, and uh, we wish you all the success with your book, Dan, Dan you. Hasler, The Act of Leadership. Thanks, Tony. Appreciate that. Thanks. Thank you for listening to the Booktopia podcast channel. Don't forget, you can subscribe to us on SoundCloud and iTunes for free and get access to hundreds of author discussions, book analysis pieces and more. Or if your eyes need a workout, head to Booktopia TV on YouTube. Don't forget, for all books featured in this podcast and for access to a whole bunch of other fun content on our blog, head to Booktopia. Australia's local bookstore at booktopia.com.au